0: Welcome to the Mammoth Training Podcast. I'm Nick Willie, your host. And today I'm joined by Kyle Winkley, currently out of Dallas, Fort Worth, Texas. He's a former college football athlete and currently a financial advisor. Thanks for joining us today, Kyle. How are you doing?
1: Doing well. Doing really well. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on. Looking forward to it.
0: Awesome. Yeah, me too. Me too. So uh, you, you were born in Oklahoma, but then you moved to Kansas uh, in second grade and eventually wound up going to the University of Kansas. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. Rock chop. Awesome, man. And uh,
1: you were on the Jayhawks, right? I was. I was. I got, this, got to play for, for KU for a year. It was, uh, it was a ton of fun. Quite a uh, life-changing life changing, uh, experience. Right on, right on. And what position did you play? I played receiver. Okay. Wide receiver? Wide receiver.
0: Awesome, man. So my uh, my first question, you graduated in 2009, is that right?
1: To From high school? Is that, was that high school? Mm, high 2009 school. 2009 or college? Yeah, 2008. So college, I played it there at KU from, from 08 to 09. Okay, cool. Yeah. So you played uh, in 2008
0: and 09. Uh, wide receiver my question for you is what bowl game is your favorite
1: (laughs) my bowl game is probably the uh the insight bowl it's not called the insight bowl anymore um but i would say that was a fun experience getting to play um we played minnesota that year and and beat the beat the beat the breaks off of the uh, gophers that year nice yeah that was fun
0: what's your favorite bowl game to watch do you still watch college football
1: Oh yeah, man, love it. Looking forward to it starting for real this week, um, man. As a as a coach, I I always loved the Rose Bowl. I thought that was just all the his history there and just all that, just the experience of it and the Rose Parade and all of it that goes into it. I think there's something special about the about the Rose Bowl. Right on, yeah. And
0: uh, you moved from Kansas to Dallas, so what what's going to be on everybody's mind, right? Chiefs or Cowboys?
1: Yeah, oh yeah, that's that's easy, man. Uh not a uh not a fair fan. Went uh had many many rough years being a Chiefs fan, but for sure am a uh, a Chiefs fan through to all the way through. So Okay. Okay, yeah.
0: right on. Well, I'm sure that's going to disappoint a whole lot of people in your area, but
1: <laughs> Yeah. No, it is uh it's easier to root for someone that you know is going to is going to win or could possibly lose as opposed to the the eternal just Cowboys fans here in Dallas thinking that every year is the year. So,
0: <laughs> Right. Well, you know, they say denial's not a river in Egypt, right?
1: Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome.
0: Yeah. So what many folks probably don't know is that Dallas and the Chiefs, Cowboys and Chiefs have only played 12 games in the history of the NFL. And uh, unfortunately for the Kansas City Chiefs fans, Kansas has won five times. The Dallas Cowboys have won seven times. So. Yeah. But you know there's more years to come.
1: That's right. Hey, you know what a lot of people pro- don't know um the the Chiefs moved from Dallas. They used to be the Dallas Texans and the Hunt oh, Okay. Family, yeah, the Hunt family that owns the Chiefs moved from Dallas to Kansas City and started the franchise there in Kansas City.
0: Oh wow, I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So uh, do you play fantasy football at all?
1: I do, yeah, no. yeah, yeah. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a sucker for it. Yeah, I get, I get sucked in every year, and, I, and then I tell myself I'm not going to do it. But I'm in three leagues, and I, uh, my wife loves it too. So I was a coach, and I think maybe we'll talk about this later. But football is a big part of our life and our family, um, and so my wife loves football. So I'll always choose two leagues. I'll play in two leagues, and I'll let my wife secretly play and draft the, in, in the third <laughs> fantasy football league. So. Well, yeah. That way,
0: if she that way, if she if if they mess up, you could be like you know, honey. Next year, maybe yeah. draft some better players, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, I think she's pretty good. I think one year she got like second place. So
0: nice, yeah, nice. So when you played one season in college, um, how many how many hours of training did you have to do before the season started? Do you remember like how many weeks?
1: Oh gosh, Nick. I mean, to be honest, like. It's just year, it's year round because you're, you know, obviously playing throughout the season. And then when the season's over, you usually go into a pretty intense lifting mode as far as like trying to just gain strength and mass. And then, um, you know, in high school, you're, you're running track, you're increasing your speed, conditioning, you know, college, you're doing spring ball. And then you have, you know, you're doing your, all your spring training. It's a whole nother football season of just practice, which everyone just loves to just practice and practice yeah. with no game. <laughs> And, right. then, and then yeah, you then you've got summer workouts, summer conditioning, and then you jump into fall camp and August is the it's just brutal, but it's it's oddly, you know, strangely you enjoy those times of just it's just hard. Like it's just hard, it's miserable. That grind of of football and, and two a days, you know, which I don't even think they do anymore. But um yeah. And then you're back into football season. So hours, man, I mean if you're working out and you're doing some drill specific work, I mean, you're talking probably two hours there a day for five or six days a week. So, yeah, I mean, 10 to 10 to 12 hours a, a week.
0: So it's intense.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's year round both, especially now at the high school level and like down down in Texas, most of the states in the south, like it's year round just non-stop. you know. So, <clears throat> yeah during
0: the week, during the week before games, you're you're going 10 to 12 hours of practice per week
1: before games? Yeah, before games, I mean, yeah, so you'll Monday is usually kind of a, a walk through, more of a learning day. That's a more mental day, but you're you're lifting. So like if you're talking I guess my last season, like my last season coaching, like you are you're starting after lunch and you're you're gonna lift. And that's anywhere from a 30 to 90 minute lift. And then you're gonna have film. That's again another twenty to thirty minute session. And then you're gonna have probably an hour and a half practice. And then after practice, we would usually do stretching or conditioning or just like catching drills, you know, some eye hand coordination types of things. So yeah, from from that perspective, Nick, yeah, that's a great question. I guess you're one one to five o'clock, like four hours. You know, that's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Thursday's a lighter walkthrough. Um, maybe that's two hours and then Friday's game day. And then you're back at it Saturday. You know, you're stretching, you're working out, getting the blood flowing, recovering, film. Yeah, I mean, it's easily tw- probably more like 20, 20 plus hours, hours a week.
0: Wow. Yeah. For one game. I mean, 20 yeah. hours a week for one game. It's it's uh, it's amazing how much training right. goes into that.
1: Uh, for, Yeah. It's crazy thing about it. Football, the uh, plays five seconds, and if you're running, whatever fifty plays, for five seconds. I mean that you're not spending a whole lot of actual time, you know, playing, playing football.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I kind of see a, a
1: a crossover between that and life, though, right?
0: That and business.
1: Yeah, no, I I, I, kind of see the dot you're connecting there. It makes a whole lot of sense. The more hours you put in, what's the saying, right? I mean, like, is it uh, takes 10,000 hours to be an expert in something? Um, Yeah, you train in all facets and all conditions in order to be great and to execute for what could be a moment, you know, a few seconds.
0: Yeah, how many times in business have we been, you know, we train, 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 and then, you know, we come up to that that, uh, meeting, that prospecting meeting or that presentation and and we have, you know, the first thirty seconds or maybe a couple minutes to make it or break, right? To make or break that whole presentation sometimes. So Yeah. That's awesome.
1: Yeah. No, you're spot on there.
0: Um so as a coach, would you say the game was what what percentage of the game was mental versus physical? I know everybody thinks that physical uh, football is just a physical sport, but a lot of it's mental, isn't
1: it? Yeah, yeah, I would say mental in two aspects. One, just the mental, the mental toughness, right, to be prepared and to know what you're going to go through. But then the, also the mental clarity and f- to have focus in those like pressure situations and those moments. You know, can you remember your assignment? Can you, in the moment, recognize, you know, one player's going this way, so I need to react another way. Um, I'll never forget, and this was just, this was a coaching side of things for me, but um, coaching, I remember playing, we were, we were coaching against the team in, in DFW called Rockwall. I was coaching at Sachse, and there was this kid named Jackson Smith who just got drafted by the Seahawks in the first round. He was so good as a freshman, he was playing offense and defense and uh man he almost like single-handedly beat us but i'll never forget this actually doesn't involve this play didn't involve jackson but i remember watching their safeties come down on a certain play and i remember in that moment telling our offensive coordinator hey call this this next play because that safety is going to move and we're going to be open and we just ran a little slant route behind the safety and the safety was gone and it was a touchdown it was it was cool and then same thing you know playing yeah you just rep things over and over And you just kind of are like, man, I just made that play. And it's just funny after the plays over, you're like, I just made that play. But in your mind, you'd made that play a thousand times. And so it was like, wow, I just I've done that in my mind a hundred thousand times. And then I just did it for real on a Friday night or a Saturday afternoon. And now and then you that's when it all kind of clicks like, oh, that's why I did those hours of training and film and all those things, because now I just executed it in you know in the real in real life.
0: Yeah, into a into a professional level, right? Yeah. Because of yeah. all that mental preparedness. Right. So uh you just went into uh, we just went into coaching. You were a coach after uh you played and then you became a biology teacher. How did you transition from teaching biology and coaching football into sales?
1: Yeah. Um I think actually a lot easier than than it may sound. I mean, that does sound like a super weird transition and it is, I mean, to a degree. But um, at the end of the day, coaching and teaching and sales, if you are doing it for selfish reasons, like your customer, your prospect is going to know and sniff that out in a second. Um, obviously, no one's dumb. No one. Everyone knows if you're in sales, you're you're doing this for a paycheck. It's not a volunteer job, voluntary volunteer job that you're doing, but there's a difference between going out with the mindset of wanting to help and serve people um, and then wanting and build relationships and then just chasing a a paycheck or the next, you know, as far as a teacher, really like a coach, just chasing the next job promotion or whatever that might be. Um, So I think I just had that mindset of, okay, like I loved and served these kids and these coaches and these families. And so now I'm going to go out and do that in the sales world. I'm just going to help people. I'm going to keep my word and just work hard and, and let the results, you know, speak for themselves as far as knowing that if I take care of people and do the right thing and keep my word, everything else, will, the the big stuff will take care of itself.
0: Yeah, I fully believe that as well. Um, you know, you kind of touched on it, but what is your why for doing what you do now?
1: Yeah, I mean, my why at the end of the day is... Um, And this was part of my, you know, kind of backing up part of my story with um, football. Um, You know, long, long, long story short, uh, football led me to the Lord. So I I didn't know who Jesus was growing up. And um, man, my why is to just to love and to serve him. And as the Bible's called us to to, you know, share the 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 gospel with people. And I think a lot of that can be done in actions and then words second sometimes. Um, And so. Yeah, if I'm just pouring myself out as just being a servant, whether that's with my wife or my girls, but then also my business now, currently with my clients, like the funny thing is in the kingdom, right, everything's upside down. If I take care of other people and do do for other people, then I know I'm gonna be taken care of as well. So I don't know if that makes yeah, a whole totally. lot of sense, but yeah.
0: Yeah, that's that's awesome. Um I think it was Grant Cardone that said you know, if you help everyone else around you get what they need or what they want, you'll end up getting what you need, what you want. Yeah. You know, it's, it's yeah. uh, seek key first. Right. So that's awesome. That rolls right into my next question. How does your faith play a role in being a financial advisor for Northwest Mutual Northwestern Mutual? Sorry.
1: Yeah. No, no, no. I think that's um, I, I couldn't have done that. I don't think with and built this business without my faith and knowing that You just you just hit it. Right. If I seek first the kingdom of God right, all these other things will be added to me. And it's really this weird tension of, okay, I'm talking about money all day and future plans and all these things while knowing, you know, it's not a God we serve. But no matter what we do in this life, it involves money and currency in some way, shape or form. So um, but also we were called to work. Um, I think you and I talked about this when when we had met uh, and chatted last week, right? Work was before the fall. So um, we're called to work to serve and to do those things for people. And um, so then if we're called to work and if if we earn money, then how do we steward these things well? And I think that's my passion for people is to how do we steward the dollars we have now well? How do we plan for the future? Well, and then how do we plan for when we're gone? Because I mean, so far I'm pretty sure it's a hundred percent batting average for people and, and dying. So, um, you know, how do we yeah. how do we take care of all these things and do it do it wisely?
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's two things that are guaranteed
1: in life, right? Death and taxes. That's right, and that's the hey, and that's the other thing I help people with is taxes. So, you know, there you if go. You know, yeah, some people the death side might not resonate, but the taxes side will resonate with people. So, um, yeah, that's <laughs> that's a great point.
0: Yeah. It's interesting when I was, you know, 20, 25, 26, you know, I didn't really think about, about insurance, uh, long-term insurance, anything like that. When I moved to Washington, I was talking to the AAA uh, guy over there in Washington and he he brought up life insurance, you know, and I think yeah. I was like, I was like 35 at the time. And I'm like, why do I need that? I didn't know anything about, you know, life insurance, uh, the different types and whatnot. And he talked me into getting some. And it's probably a good thing to have now that I think about it, looking back, you know, if something would have happened to me at 36, 37, you know, my family, we didn't have a whole lot of means at that time. My family would have been um, in a little bit more dire straits than if that happened now. But I think there's a lot of misunderstood aspects of life insurance and of financial planning. Would you agree?
1: Yeah. No, I think so. I think there's a a ton of noise out there. I think my job a lot of times is just to cut through the noise, right? I mean, everyone has the whole world and information at their fingertips and a lot of it's good and really helpful. And a lot of it is absolute garbage. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, and the other thing is how even if good information were accessible via the Internet, like you said, there are there is some of that. Right. But how much time do I really have to spend on that? Or how much time does a a lady that, you know, maybe a single mom who works uh, to support her kids and stuff, does she really have time to go on the Internet and start researching and and figuring out what all the good information is versus the bad information? I mean, that's not really uh, that feasible for most people. Right.
1: Right. Yeah, no, I think that's, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's my job a lot of the times is just to provide clarity, right? Kind of, um, I think a lot of us have heard the saying, kiss, keep it simple, stupid. Um, you know, we you can get bogged down in the weeds on a lot of things. And if you can keep things clear for people and understand why they're doing something, what they need, you know, to help fill in whatever gap might be, or to for them to realize gaps they may not even know that they have, like you said, right? I mean... People don't go, walk around and think about it. But if you've got, you know, a wife and three little kids and you're whatever, trying to start a business or grow a business or grow your sales. And <clears throat> if something were to happen, I mean, if it's in a key moment of or phase of life, well, you've got a lot of people and mouths and futures relying on on your income. So I mean, I guess we're talking on the insurance side of things. Um, but then, too, on the on the investment side of things again, there's so many options, right? I mean, what in the world is a 401k? What's a SEP IRA? Why do I need these things? How do they fit in? You know, some of them might be really good. Some of them might not. But I mean, at the end of the day, the funny thing is like, I, I compare a lot of in, on the investment side of things to our phone, right? We all understand a phone and an app, right? And then- I don't the- know.
0: I don't understand mine very well, actually, but I know what you're saying.
1: Yeah, but we understand it enough, at least to get on an email and scroll through some sort of social media. And a lot of investments are just those things, right? They're different apps inside of a phone. And then they're all the codes, all the stuff that really confuses people, the 401k, the SEP IRA, the Roth IRA, that's that's the cell phone case. That's just the wrapping that's on the outside that's protecting those investments. So um, yeah, just keeping things simple like that for people. Because yeah, most of the time, and I'm talking to business owners or sales guys, most ninety percent of the time, they're more mm-hmm. worried about their baby of growing their business, whether that's the business they own or their own book of business, than to worry about these different things. So providing that that kind of clarity and communication there, knowing that that's taken care of for them is is a big deal.
0: Yeah, I imagine a lot of your a lot of your pitch, if you would, is helping people to create a long-term vision where they otherwise may lack that vision, right?
1: Yeah. When it comes to hey. finances. Yes. Yeah. No, you're you're spot on there. The first questions I ask almost everyone is what are your hopes, goals, and dreams? And what are your fears? How, what What is your opinion on money? Like were you raised with it? Is it? For it, against it? Did your parents teach you and coach you through it? Or are you figuring this thing out on your own? There's a whole lot of more like, of the thinking and the psychology behind it, um, rather than just saying, okay, list off your debts and list off your assets and tell me how much you make. I mean, that's, anyone can kind of do that. Right. But how do we, yeah. how do all these puzzle pieces actually fit together and building out that plan? Cause more people I think are care more. I think all people care about, am I going to be okay? And am I going to be on track way more than they care about this stock or this bond? I don't think a whole lot of people actually care about the, those things so
0: well and that's where a company like you comes in right you you're you're the ones that get paid to care about the details right mm-hmm. of the of the stocks and the bonds and and all that stuff
1: yeah and how all those puzzle pieces really fit in like what from every, right, everything i mean you could talk round and round like what is the what is the right amount of life insurance what is the right investment maybe not necessarily the right stock or bond but the right cell phone case does this need to be in a Traditional IRA or Roth IRA? Well, what's the difference between those two things? Well, let's talk about that. Yeah. Kids, how do I plan for that? How do I save for college? Should I? There's. Yeah. And the beauty of this. Go ahead.
0: There's a lot to it, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And the beauty of it is it's like life's going to change. So the, the, the plan and the conversations change along with it. And that's what I love about doing this is getting to walk with people for the next 20 to 40 years.
0: That's awesome uh, I know one of the biggest one of the biggest hurdles for me when I was younger uh, to investing and I'm talking about the stock market I don't know if you deal with that at all but but we'll talk about that but was that I, I I think back in those days the banks required you to put a lot more money into it didn't they to get started in investing you know this is back when I was probably 20 25 um, now they have all kinds of ways that you can go and invest in at least in stocks. You know, on your own. Do you think that's a good idea, though, for most people
1: to to investing do investing on their investing.
0: own, like on a phone app?
1: Oh man, Whew. that's a tough question, Nick. I don't even know if I can actually answer that. Um, yeah, I think I'll say this: the best time to answer or to invest is twenty years ago, and the second best time is is today. So. Um, mm-hmm. I, you also hear stories. I mean, people could get, get themselves in a lot of trouble because they started day trading Tesla and then they were up $12,000 and they thought they were invincible and then they t- turn around and lose 35000 the next day. So um, I think that depends on kind of how you where your self-control is and what you're doing that and why you're wanting to do it. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you're if you're doing something that you feel like you is wise and you've you've read it and researched it enough, then that's great. But, you know, that's, again, that's why I can be a resource for people and um, talking them through those types of things and decisions if it makes sense for, for them. But man, at the end of the day, you want to have your risks managed. You want to have time in the market, not trying to time the market and make sure you're doing things as, as tax efficiently as possible.
0: So Tell, tell us in the audience, um, you deal with uh, life insurance, right?
1: Yeah, that's one thing, yeah.
0: And then also retirement investments, correct? Mhm. Yeah. Financial planning.
1: Yeah, so it's a, it's really a comprehensive plan like we really can for people sit down and talk through, okay, what are we trying to accomplish? Where do we want to be by what age? on what do we on what a month, you know, and then <clears throat> okay, so now how do all your puzzle pieces fit together? Where does social security play into this? Where does your 401k, you know, and then we can figure out, well, hey, based upon what you want to do and these goals, like we need to save X amount a month, or hey, you've you're good, you've saved enough, but you know, we might have a a hole here or a tax burden there or those types of things and really actually, you know, I here's where I think some people can confuse like m- investing with like financial planning. Investing is just, hey, I am going to consistently put money away and hope that it grows. Financial planning is are my risks managed and taken care of? Am I saving in the right buckets or in the right ways? And mm-hmm. you know, am I what am I actually trying to chase to get after, right? How do all these puzzle pieces fit together? Right. And I always tell people this and maybe maybe this makes sense in your world, too. I mean, I know it makes sense, I think, in everyone's world. Right. A, a B minus plan that gets put in place, that ac- action is taken is always better than an A plus plan that never happens. So, yeah, you know, whether it's sales, whether it's in uh, financial planning, whether it's working out, dieting, I think a lot of times we're like, oh, well, you know, I should have been saving X amount a month when I was 20 years old. Now I'm 40. Now it's too late. Or, oh, well, I should have done that. Now I, now I need to lose 25, 30 pounds. It's too late. Well, if you just do uh, one thing each day, and then that compounding time and effort and interest is going to add up as opposed to, well, I can't be perfect. So what's the use in, in trying? Yeah, I think a lot of a lot
0: of folks get kind of that um, analysis paralysis, right? Yeah. Where they, they overanalyze their situation and then they're so they're just, they're not exactly where they want to be. So they start to get paralyzed and don't want to move forward with anything. Right. Right. Do you see that a lot?
1: Yeah, no, I, I absolutely do. I mean, yeah, you'll have, um, you'll sit down with people and they'll say that it was great. This was super helpful conversations and planning and stuff, but, um, they've, it's they haven't taken any action for so long because like you were saying earlier they've gotten online they've looked at so many different things and then they're like oh well i don't know what direction to go in like this is there's there's too much here to make a decision right and so they start you know whatever should i do term or should i do whole life should i do this investment or that should i save this amount or this amount and, and so what do people do they don't think i'll think about it tomorrow and then tomorrow turns into six months and turns into six years. So they just put it off.
0: Yeah. 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 What do you think? Where do you, where do you see your industry in the next 10 years with all of, all the new technology coming out, AI,
1: that kind of thing? Is that playing a role? I think um, I could see, and this is totally just guessing here, but I could see AI possibly helping with the investments. So like a lot of the man, a lot of the like ETFs are already, kind of that way a little bit. Like there's obviously a lot of, you know, uh, 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 funds that are managed or actively managed or even computerized or or kind of digitized. Um, I will tell you this, and this could be, this could be, you know, I'm sure proven right or wrong. Um, A lot of the big firms, right? All the ones you've heard of, Northwestern, Edward Jones, Raymond James, Merrill Lynch, A lot of those, man, wherever you have that invested, those dollars invested, like you've got 240, 300 people, like sets of eyeballs on those, you know, billions of dollars every day. So like those those investments, there's no magic, right? There's nothing. No one has this magical fund. There's not this one thing. People, if they did pick the magical fund, they they made a great guess. Um, but I think the future I would say is moving in two directions. I think a lot of your financial advisors are going to be CFPs and they're going to be comprehensive planning, meaning they're going to work in the areas of insurance and investments and have a whole plan, not just being a money manager. Right. I mean, Nick, at the end of the day, it's hard for me to have a conversation with you and to talk about death or how you've not saved enough for retirement. As opposed to a money manager of, hey, Nick, just give me a thousand dollars a month and we'll turn it into, you know, we'll eventually double it over time. Well, guess what? Look at the S&P or the Dow Jones, like it has done that over time, right? Because you've just consistently put time and money and growth into the market. So, um, But I would say that's kind of the future of of financial planning is just going to be more planning based as opposed to um, just money management.
0: Yeah. So you're saying, I mean, if I'm understanding correctly, Kyle, you're saying it's more sexy to talk about people making money and doubling their money than it is about them dying.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Right. Is that fair to say? Yeah. No, more than fair to say, right. It's hard for me to, to have a conversation with someone that thinks they're, you know, invincible. And it's like, yeah, I hope you are. I hope you live till you're 97 and you're doing a, a half marathon at 90 years old. But like, what if you're 37 and you have four kids in a business and you get hit by a drunk driver, right? I mean, that's, I don't go, I don't know. I don't have like fear tactics like that in my meetings, but that's the reality of, of like financial planning, right? How do we plan for all, all areas and and aspects, right? We all want to get to retirement at 60 years old and retire and be retired for 30 years and do whatever we want to do with our lives. I don't believe God has called us to just buy a house on a golf course and slowly die for the last 30 years of our lives. But what if we do save for retirement until at 60 and we, and we pass away at 62 or we're disabled or like, how does estate planning fit into this stuff? How do taxes fit into the future? What if we do build this? What if we do build this giant, beautiful business? Well, how do we steward that? Well, what does that look like? How do we pass that on to the next generation and and do those types of things?
0: Yeah, you know, speaking with business owners over the years, uh, it kind of became clear to me that a lot of business owners don't really have a plan for how they're going to get out of the business. Would that be fair to say? Have you run into that?
1: Yeah, succession planning is a is a big deal. It's a big deal. Mm-hmm. Uh the stats right now, I mean, here's you know, talk about the future of our of of financial planning. We're going we're going into the greatest wealth transfer in human history because of. All of these business owners, the baby boomer generation, right? You're going to have this giant amount of wealth over the next like 10 to 20 years. That's going to move from one generation to the next. Um, and what that's going to look like, I think, could look vastly different based upon the conversations you've had with your older parents or, or, or those older generations down to those younger generations. And then, yeah, what have those business owners done to either bring in the next the next business owner and raise up that next key employee, or have a successful buy sell transition out of this to a whatever a larger company, a conglomerate that wants to buy up you know businesses in your area, whatever that might look like.
0: So, if you could share with us what happens, uh, say a business owner has built a business, it's a multi million dollar business, and they don't have a succession plan or this kind of you know. Uh, will in place or something like that, and something happens to them. What's what's the process to get that all squared away if that happens?
1: Yeah, so I mean, if you don't have anything in place, right? That business is gonna go to. Uh, I'm. I guess I'm assuming here your spouse in this in this scenario. Nine times out of ten, the spouse isn't involved or doesn't want to you know, be the business owner without the other the other spouse there. So then at that point, now we have a fire sale on our hands because I, whatever, I own an automotive repair business. I've been working on cars my whole life. And then I don't have a succession plan. I'm 64 and I pass away early. Well, my wife doesn't want to own this business, but now I have multiple other automotive businesses in the area that now know I can have this, Successful business, right? But even though he sh- he should have sold it for two point four million dollars or twelve million dollars, well, now we know the wife wants to get rid of it, and so now it's it, it gets sold for for twenty five percent of that. Um, wow! So yeah, I think I think I, you can go really two routes with it, right? I mean, you can either have. Um, a, that next generation coming, like I want to, when I'm like 55, I would love to bring in a younger advisor into my practice. And, Mm -hmm. and that way I can hand clients off, not off of me or my responsibility. But if I have clients that are younger than me, obviously I'm not going to be working with them through their retirement. So I want to be able to have that successful transition for them. And same thing for the, for the business owner, you know, in the blue collar space or whatever it might be. If I have this thriving business, why would I why would I shut it down? Why not do why not let it continue to run and, and make money and be an asset for me through throughout my whole life? Um, yeah, so there's that. Or, yeah, there's the there's this the the plan to sell the business and to have things in place to where if I have if I've put my investments in place for me so that my money is now making me money. Now I'm not on the hook to, oh, I got to hurry up and get this business sold because I desperately need this $4 million just to live. Right now I've put these investments in place over the years. So I have home run dollars, I have aggressive dollars and I have safe dollars set aside. So now I can wait until that right buyer comes, whether that's tomorrow or in 18 months. Right now I have that luxury. I don't have to time the the business market.
0: Yeah. No, it's good. I mean, when people uh, when people run into that situation, it, it seems like, you know, if you're not able to recreate the income, right, if the wife is not able to recreate the income, all of a sudden, she's subject to whatever she can get. And, yeah. and panic
1: sets in. Would you agree? That's yeah. You, you unfortunately see that happen frequently or hear yeah. that happening frequently. Yeah.
0: And the worst time to ever make decisions is when you're panicking. Yeah.
1: Yeah. In a a high emotional state. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Mm -hmm. What's the biggest misconception that people have about what you do?
1: Oh man, that's a fantastic question. Um, Oh, I would say the, either that I'm just staring at the stock market all day long. Um, or that I want something from them. Like I want a giant chunk of money. Um, Mm -hmm. Or that, yeah, they're gonna. Oh, I can't talk. To, oh, I can't talk to a financial advisor because either A, I don't make enough money, or B, I don't have enough money set aside, and you have to you have to dedicate three thousand dollars a month to a financial advisor.
0: Mm-hmm. So,
1: yeah, I would say that's kind of the <clears throat> either the barrier barrier of entry for myself. Like, oh, I don't, I don't make enough money. I can't use those, or I don't need those services or I don't have enough money set aside. So I can't, I can't go talk to them. Yeah. Yeah. Because like, I don't, and it's neither good nor bad. I don't do fee-based planning, meaning you're not, I'm not going to charge someone, you know, $2,500, 10000 a year to, to meet with me and build out a plan. Um, and that's neither good nor bad. That's just where, and maybe we have this conversation in 10 years and that changes, but, um, yeah, fee. I don't do fee based planning. So to have a, a conversation with me, heck, I'll even buy you a cup of coffee. Like is not is you know is no, no, no investment other than an hour, thirty minutes to an hour of your time. No, I like that. And I think that's <clears throat> important for people to
0: know. What's the most important lesson you've learned over your career so far? For me personally. Yeah, just as a career person.
1: Man, I think it's when you're starting your own business and it, you just have to, uh, man, how do I say this correctly? You have to be willing to bet on yourself to the point that, like, you know, what's the saying of the, was it George Washington? I don't remember who it was, but like, burn the boats, like that phrase or that story. Like, you have yeah, to be. Burn, like you've got to go all in, like you cannot do it half-heartedly. You can't do it with your toes in the water. Like you have got to go all in to the point where you, you're, you're willing to bet it all. But then also to it puts you in a spot where you're like, you know, your hands up, right? It's okay. Like, Lord, like I, I can't do this without you. And usually by then as in our, in our, flawed human self, we've tried to figure out every other avenue, <laughs> except for relying on the Lord or going to him in prayer. Uh-huh. so, Like, yeah, I would say the biggest lesson is, is, yeah, just just go all in, right? It's reckless abandon. And the activity economy will will attract, you know, the clients and I think the people that you want, and then the dollars that you want as well, because you're not going to have it just magically by just sitting it, it on your hands. You know those things aren't going to come to you that way,
0: right? Well, and if you if you rely on if you rely on other people, other uh, avenues, would you agree? You're going to get shorted from what your true potential could be, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. If you just sit there and, and rely or hope for other things to happen or filter in, it's not going to happen. However, on the flip side of it, this like strange like being able to humble yourself and ask for help, especially when you're getting started and relying on those people, whether you want to call them like a, a center of influence, um, or kind of those concentric circles, right? I mean, if you're starting a business, man, at the end of the day, hopefully you have people lining up day one that are going to be in your corner right now. They may not even buy from you. All right. What, whatever you're, whether you're selling a, a trinket or a service or whatever, but, um, either it's referring you to other people or just having great conversations or sometimes just being an encouragement like, Hey man, I know you're down. Like, let me go buy you dinner. Let's, let's talk. Right. So yeah, I think having that is a uh, on the, on one side of that coin, right? You can't just rely on it. It's not just going to magically come in, but on the other side of that coin, having people and avenues in your corner to where you're starting something and taking that risk and burning those boats, is a is a huge deal.
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think I think having the wisdom to identify those people who actually are around to help you like you, when you run into somebody who actually wants to help you, identifying that, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Not just blowing it off and passing it up and you know. Yeah, going about your day.
1: Right. Right. Right.
0: So in a in a sales organization, what should people focus on first?
1: Whew. As far as just like in, in general?
0: Like, yeah, like starting, starting your business. You're a salesperson. You have to be in sales to start a business yeah. or to Absolutely. be in business. Everyone really is in sales. What right. should an organization focus on first and foremost?
1: Matt, I don't see, Nick, whatever you're doing in sales, I don't see how you're not you can't ignore relationships. Like even if you're not going in and you feel like you're maybe not have accomplished anything, right? Air quotes within the business. If you've gone in and built a relationship with someone for that day, whether it was a, a 30 second laugh or a 30 minute conversation, right? I, I would always have this voice, especially in my time with BG. Like I got to go to the next stop. I got to do the next thing. Uh, I know my phone's blowing up. I probably have someone out of product. But if when I spent that relational time and that relational equity with those people, I knew it was always going to come back. Um, man, there's 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 literally, I have a client as in my financial practice that wanted to kick me out of a dealership. And I Correct. built that relationship over time. It was like, He's probably like everyone told me like he's going to kick you out. Like he has kicked us out time and time again in in the DFW. And sure enough, he didn't. And um, whether that's my doing or he just wanted to try something new or just was not that wasn't on his radar at the time. um, A guy that I was warned that was going to kick me out of out of BG, out of a Nissan dealership. Has ended up being a great client for me in my financial planning business because of the relationship that I built with them. Awesome. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It just goes. It it just goes to show you, in my view, that you know, a circumstance that people may have uh, in one case or with one person, that doesn't necessarily dictate the relationship or the circumstance you will have or somebody else will have with that same person. You know. I think that brings up a really good point. I think salespeople, a lot of times when they hear those rumors about a certain prospect or whatever, oh, don't call on them. You know, they're they're mean, they'll kick you out, they'll cuss at you. Yeah. That tends to make salespeople shy away. Would you agree?
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, we've all heard that in, in different forms yeah. or fashion. So yeah, just not being a... I think that's that's... If you assume... Well, two things, right, if you just assume in general, right, that's, you know, the old saying there. But also, too, if you're just assuming positive intent from people, right, then I think you're going to always have a a better outcome. Right. I mean, and I'm not talking to just like fake, like, oh, positivity, everything's sunshine and and rainbows. But right. I mean, if you assume positive intent and that these relationships and conversations are going to be good, then how can good not come from that? Right now, yeah, maybe they do say no or they do kick you out or they do change vendor X, Y, Z. But it's definitely not going to happen if you go in there and assume the worst or the negative. Like now you're not even giving yourself a shot.
0: Yeah, you might as well stay home if you're just going to go in and go, oh, this isn't going to work. Yeah. Right.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think, um, you know, I think touching on what you said, focusing on the people. You know, I think a lot of sales organizations think that they should be focusing on their product mm-hmm. when in reality, I think you're saying they should be focusing on people they're interacting with.
1: Yeah. I mean, focusing on people and and because of that, if you're doing that, you're asking good questions. So yeah. I think that's right. And that's a huge part of any type of sales training you've asked and you can do it the right way and, and your your tonality and how you should ask and do these different things, but no one who is a decision maker is going to be upset if you go in somewhere and you're asking people questions about them, whether it's themselves and or their business. Like no one is waking up and is like, "Uh, I'm not going to talk about myself today. Right. I mean, that's that's, that's not the case. So if you're going in and you're being genuinely curious and interested in other people, like you're going to like good things are going to happen. Right. Be be interested. not interesting. Right. Don't, don't go in there and try to be interesting. Right. I mean, be, be interested in, in your client and your prospect, both as a business and as a human. Yeah. And and not, I
0: think that's great advice. What's that?
1: Yeah. And, and just, I think along with that, like when you are asking questions and having conversations, like don't be, don't beat around the bush, like don't be afraid, just rip the bandaid off. Like you're going to, if you address something head on, you're going to provide so much clarity and relief and probably reduce some anxiety. And now, now I have my answer to whatever it is, whatever that elephant is. And it either was an elephant for you and I, and now it's clear or it was something I was just making up in my head. That's not even, you know, really there. So, um, yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, Yeah. I think, I think not calling out the elephant in the room is a huge mistake that salespeople make. Would you agree? Yeah, like if they know if they walk in and they know there's an elephant in the room, they should be talking about it, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, or ma- I guess mammoth in this case, but yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I
0: mean, when you when you don't address it, you basically you're basically continuing to reinforce it in the customer's mind if it is in there.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So right. I think they're gonna appreciate that and just your your honesty and upfront. Whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, right? Just addressing it so you can move on to to the next thing.
0: Yeah, it's great. Well, who's been your most influential professional mentor?
1: Um, man, there's two guys. I would say, um, I would say in my in my BG days, there was a guy named, well, two guys, Dustin Hawkins and Logan Davis. Um, both who who are still friends they just kind of like you brought up earlier right they brought in this biology teacher football coach and just showed him a whole new world and they did it with no judgmental and man i would i would call logan 10 times a day i would call dustin you know once or twice a day to just report in and ask kind of big questions and and he was always always kind of checking my pulse he would always say i never want you to fail and it wasn't because he was babying me he was just he was like, man, I'm not going to put you in a situation to where you aren't better off. And I just knew he was always in in my corner. And Logan, I could just he was out there with me kind of in the fog of war and could always ask the tough questions, too. Um, and then I would say in in starting my financial planning business, it was a guy named Brandon Rossi, who's still to this day is in my corner. And he has a very successful practice of his own as well. But, um, yeah, man, he's just he's there. He's there. And just guys that are just. You know, it might just be a, a quick 30 second phone call, but he might, that might end up saving the day on something that I, I was struggling with or had questions on.
0: What would you say your most difficult um, task was in that sales role? What was your personally your most difficult?
1: Um, man, Nick, I didn't know you were going to ask me all these great questions today. Got to line them up. <laughs> Um, most difficult, I would say, and it still is just a character trait of my own is like just the organizational side of things. I want to go hundred miles an hour and sometimes I'm going too fast for my own good and, and not allowing, you know, not crossing T's and dotting eyes. Um, but then I think to myself, well, if I slow down to cry, I know I need to cross those T's and dot those eyes, but then I'm going to not talk to the next person or not get the next thing done or accomplished and so realizing i want to do things well not just do a thousand things you know uh, but try to do uh, there's more power in doing a hundred things well than doing a thousand things good
0: yeah isn't that the truth
1: yeah I don't yeah. think that's an
0: uncommon struggle though for a lot of uh, salespeople, especially at the level that you attained. I mean, you you took your sales from seven fifty roughly to about one point five, one point six, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, With I was BG. able to. Yeah, I, I was. I was thankfully, and they put me in a great spot, and I was able to to double that territory.
0: Yeah, that's great. But people going that fast, a lot of times, paperwork uh, is not. Yeah. It's yeah. not your friend, right?
1: No, no. Bogs, bogs me down. I can't wait to, I'm hopefully about a year away from hiring a full-time, I have a couple girls that help me, but a full-time assistant and I'm just going to tell her, I don't want to see another email. That's just, please don't, don't let me ever read another email and you, you'll be good. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's an important, uh, an important thing though. Like having people that are top producers re- requires that you, um, that you build a, a a process and a system around that person in order to manage that person, what they're doing. Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And your customers and and, yeah. And or clients are going to be, they're going to feel so much more confidence if they're walking through a process from start to finish and with rhythms that are, you know, streamlined and efficient and make sense as opposed to, okay, well now I said, yes. And now what? And it's, it can be, you know, somewhat of a mess or, or cumbersome at times. Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of uh, apps and programs today to help out with that, but I'm, you know, starting my own uh, coaching business now. Yeah. Uh, I'm already running into a little bit of, of myself as well. Right. Is. Yeah. I want to go a hundred, a thousand miles per hour, but I've got to make sure that things are in place.
1: (laughs) So. Right. Right. Yeah.
0: yeah, It's a learning curve.
1: It is. It is for sure. (laughs)
0: So obviously, training has been a huge role uh, of huge importance in um, in your football career, your teaching career, um, as well as financial planning. Tell me a little bit about the training that you had to go through in order to be a financial planner.
1: Yeah. So um, you have to get uh, your general lines to operate in the the insurance world. And then you've got to get some, some different um, tests passed. So your SIE, your series six and your series 63 allows you to operate in the investment world. Um, I'm working on my series seven and then I'm going to jump into my, there's some specific trainings you can do. So like your, I want to do what's called your RICP retirement income certified planner. So I'm working specifically with kind of that critical 10 area of people that are like 10 years before or after retirement. Um, and then eventually want to get my CFP as well, my certified financial planner. But there's ongoing things as, as well, Nick. Like there's constantly uh, trainings you've got to put in. I think it's, oh man, 30 hours a year into just trainings, both in person and online. There's constant development to help make sure you, you're you providing, a, you know, an, a, a great planning experience and troubleshooting things, um, working with, you know. I chose to be with northwestern for a multitude of reasons but one of them is the training is just unbelievable um, in all areas right so they're not um they're not just sitting there talking to you every day about hey go sell this product or that product right there's no gimmicks like that um it really is like hey this is what i'm doing for my planning this is what I'm doing for my clients. This is you're constantly being trained in multitudes of areas to just provide the best experiences possible. And everyone's kind of right. Everyone's moving down downstream, right? Together. Um, Yeah. Yeah. That's
0: awesome. How many uh, you train every week? Do you train on something every week?
1: Uh, Yeah. Yeah, I would say so. I've got a a meeting uh, for sure. um, an hour Monday mornings and Wednesday mornings. Um, I used to have meetings on Thursday mornings as well. And those all three of those days were covering different things. Um, Some of them were like Thursday mornings were like skills and just having like, how can I efficiently communicate and do a good job planning with people? Some of them is, you know, the data, the stuff you don't want to talk about or, or slow down on. But like, okay, like what is. What does your business actually look like right now? Like what is a, a snapshot of your week or your month? Not as far, not really on the performance side of things, but actually more in the, um, like the activity side of things, right? How like many, the behavior. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Right, so that way you can look up and, and get a pulse of your business. Well, mm-hmm. hey, your your whatever, your May was terrible. Well, why was my t- May terrible? Well, my activity in March and April were awful. Well then no wonder your may was terrible. Right. But yeah. Right. So look at those types of, <clears throat> of things. There's all sorts of trainings going on there. Um, both for you to be successful as an individual, but then also for your, for your clients.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think a lot of, a lot of folks don't realize you can't really control the numbers. You can control your behavior. You can control your activity, but you can't really control the numbers.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Right. The numbers follow the activity. So yeah, uh, I think a lot of people, maybe sales managers out there, are trying to control the wrong, are trying to manage the wrong thing sometimes.
1: Yeah, no, that's that's great, and managing the you know the communication and the expectations because mm-hmm. you know frustration comes from unmet or unspoken expectations. So yeah. ha- having those things managed as well is, has been super super helpful in me or for me in and kind of like I'd, I'd mentioned earlier, Brandon, the guy that kind of has mentored me along in this, in this whole deal, um, has just always reminded me of that. Like, okay, well, you haven't communicated that with yourself or your spouse or whatever your clients. So you can't be frustrated because those things weren't effectively communicated.
0: Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. So, um, I've got a couple more questions for you and, um, this is kind of how I wind down the podcast. We've, we've been going almost an hour, if you can believe that. It, it's been awesome yeah, talking wow. with you, but uh, what do people not know about you that you wish they did?
1: Oh, wow. Um, just in, in general, overall, anything? Yeah. Mm. Man, that is a tough question. I would say, you've got don't know about me man i i I feel like I really wear my heart on my sleeve. I don't think I try to hide too much to be real honest with you. Um, I hope people know that like more than anything, I love the Lord, and that's where everything kind of is driven for me. Um, I think professionally, like I want people to know that I'm, I'm always open and able to have conversations with people and that there's no, you know, there's no hidden agenda. There's no, um, you know, expectation and there's no like judgment. I think some people are are afraid to kind of rip the bandaid off and have these conversations. Um, yeah,
0: but more than anything, oh man, I, was- I appreciate your, I appreciate your openness and entertaining, entertaining me with that, you know with answering because, you know, I don't want my podcast to sound cookie cutter. Like, you know, I don't want it to sound like everybody else's podcast. Right. Yeah. So I'm trying to make sure that, um, that I'm asking good questions. And, and, uh, especially at the end, of, of, you know, I really want to get to know Kyle. I want people to get to know Kyle. And I ultimately mm-hmm. want them to feel comfortable getting in contact to you and wanting to do business with you. So the last question I have before I kind of wrap this up is, um, what do you want to be remembered for?
1: Oh man, Nick. Um, I think I want to be remembered for like just being, um, man, just I want to be remembered for like loving people, loving the Lord. And out of that love, like you're, you're loving and serving my, my wife, my girls, my community, the people that we walk with here in Rockwall. And yeah, I don't, I don't, I do not want to remember be remembered as like a good dude. Like, Oh, Kyle was just a good guy. Like, well, what does that actually mean? Right. I I don't, I don't, if, if anyone takes offense to that, I'm sorry, but I, I don't like that. Just like that description is like, so like vague. And what does that actually mean? Like, I want to be remembered as someone who lives with like a reckless abandon to love people well. That's awesome, man.
0: Well, and, you know, to your point, you know, people's definition of quote unquote good can be di- uh, very different, right? Yeah. Depending on where their compass is, you know, what where their compass is pointing. Yeah. Right. Where do yeah. they get their truth from? Where do, Where do they get their good from? Quote unquote. So... Right. Um, no, I appreciate that a lot, man. And I know this, this isn't a religious podcast, but, you know, I'm a Christian as well. And I really appreciate you being open with your faith. Um, I think too many people, you know, kind of candy coated or, or just, you know, they're, they have faith in one element of their life. And, and I'm of the strict belief that your, your true beliefs really drive everything that you do in life. You know, whether you're expressing where it came from or not, it is coming from your core beliefs, which, you know, in your case, in my case is uh, faith in Christ. So I yeah. appreciate the openness on that. And, and I think that it's important for people to know.
1: Absolutely. Um,
0: so where can people find you? I can give out your contact information, but um, you're on LinkedIn. I know that Kyle Winkley. Where yeah. else can people find you?
1: Yeah. Um, so man, LinkedIn obviously is a, is a great spot. Um, but yeah, Nick, so my, I mean, my email address is just Kyle Winkley at N M Nancy, Um, and then man, yeah, my, like I'm not, my cell phone is seven, eight, five, eight, one, seven, eight, three, six, three. So, um, awesome. Yeah. Just being able to tell people and re- meet them wherever they're at, whether that's, Phone call, email, whatever it might be, a chat over over LinkedIn. Happy to to connect with people there. Right
0: on, man. Well, I appreciate your time. And again, if people that are listening need you know need to ask questions about financial planning, they can call Kyle Winkley here at Northwestern Mutual. Um, and obviously, you know Mammoth Training Solutions, uh, we're here to help get everybody's training right. So, um, you know, like you said, it takes like ten thousand hours. Um, to become an expert at something. If you get a, tr- a business coach, you can cut that at, you know down quite substantially because we've been there, we've been through it and uh, we've got some processes and practices that um, is likely to help your business um, if you're in the space where you need a coach. So please feel free to reach out to me as well at mammothsolutions.com or mammothsolutions at gmail.com. And um, yeah, I'm also on LinkedIn. So Kyle, I appreciate your time. Thank you so much for being with me. And um, yeah, good luck to you. Godspeed. God bless. And keep rocking it out there.
1: Thank you, Nick. Appreciate it. Same to you, my man.
0: All right, man.